I love preaching out of something that's really challenged me. Uh, I want to make sure that the things that I'm talking about and sharing up here are things that are at work in my life, um, that I'm not just kind of throwing some nice uh, messages that I got off the internet to you, but that God's actually working on me. And every year we preach this series because it is easy uh, to get away from community. It's really easy to get away from getting around the table with people. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, your house gets a little dirty, your life gets a little bit busy, and you begin to, re- you, you begin to kind of peel back from uh, community and friendship and relationships. Relationship. And, and as Matt was saying, it, it is one thing to know Jesus. It's a no, whole other thing to know Jesus within community. And it is within community that you are shaped. It is in community where you are discipled. It's in community where character is made. Because how many of you know you don't need love, joy, peace, and patience if you don't know nobody? Like the fruit of the Spirit is, is like a couple of those things are just for you. But the reality is most of them for you are with, for you and for other people. Like I need you to be patient if you're going to be in a relationship with me. And it probably needs to be supernatural. It probably needs to be Holy Spirit born, right? Like it needs to be produced by the Holy Spirit because if you just know me out of your own patience, we will not be friends for very long. I can be obnoxious. And, uh, my goodness. It's family. This is what happens when you do church as family. You shout stuff from the front row. Hey, I, but I, I really want to encourage you. We don't just do church in rows. We do church at and around the table. And so I want to encourage you to get involved in dinner party, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable, even if the people there don't look like you, talk like you, get around the table, get, some, get to know some people that don't look like you and talk like you. You actually will be better for it. I promise you. Um, our country needs more of that anyways. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 7. I want to read this verse to you, and then we're just going to chat through it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and I am reading out of my favorite Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I'm pretty sure none of you own. There's a few of you that asked me what translation, and some of you bought it. Do you really have it, Bearish? Oh, nice. I knew I liked you. Hey, so, so I want to read this, and this is a, 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 just an incredible story, and it happens around the table. It's amazing, amazing in the book of Luke. Uh, how many times, in fact, one commentator would have said, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to the table, at the table, or leaving the table. He is doing one of those three things. Every time you see a story of Jesus in the book of Luke, as, as he writes this story about uh, Jesus, as he follows him around, he notices the table and almost everything. And uh, so it should be uh, no surprise then that the mission of Jesus, as he says it in Luke, is to seek and save the lost. Uh, the only other place he says it in Luke like that is he says, uh, Jesus came eating and drinking. Almost as though those things, one is his mission, the other is his method. That his mission is that he would seek and save the lost. His method is that he would do it eating and drinking with people. It's amazing how we have turned the church into a place where it is really about coming to one place on a Sunday for 90 minutes and forgetting the rest of the week. When really what Jesus did more often than anything else was get around the table with people. And it is where the most significant transactions of relationship happened was at the table. Because you can't get away from somebody sitting there. It's rude if you get up. Here, you can act like you're going to the restroom. If you get up at a table and don't come back, someone notices. You know what I'm talking about? And so I, I want to just encourage you to get to the table. So let, Luke 7, verse 36. Are you ready? You with me? Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. I love that Jesus, even in the midst of calling out the Pharisees, still got invited to the Pharisees' table. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. 
She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I love that. Teacher, he said, this is a dumb, I don't know why you'd respond to this. Teacher, he said, say it. I feel like that's my five-year-old son right now. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Say it. Oh, you're going to say it. All right, verse 41. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. Uh, you have judged correctly. He told him, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved me much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. God, there's so many... This is good, y'all. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's a good story. The Bible's good. You should read it. Hey, let me pray over this as we jump in. Lord, I thank you so much that you welcome the uninvited. God, that you're ready for the unexpected. And that anyone that shows up at your table, God, you're, you're ready for. And you're wanting and you're welcoming. And God, I pray that we, we today, as we read your word, as we hear uh, from you, Lord, I pray that there would be something that shifts in our hearts. And I pray that uh, what we do here doesn't stop here. I pray that it moves into every street and to every heart. And God, I pray that we do not, we do not allow the things that I say this morning to get in the way of the things you want to say. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to the hearts of people this morning, that you would be the one uh, opening and revealing and shifting and shaping and changing us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you have uh, friends who are known for something, right? Anybody you know, if you mention someone's name in your circle of friends, or maybe they're not your friend, maybe they're known for something that has uh, made them move outside your circle of friends. Um, they're known for something. I had a friend, uh, and I still have a friend, he's a great friend, but uh, for years, uh, would always get us into these very weird situations. And so we started calling him Dub S, which just meant weird situations. And, and it was just always something. He would fall. He would. I remember one story where we were sitting in chairs similar to this, hundreds of students. We were at a youth camp, hundreds of students, and we're on the second row, and we sit down, and he's sitting there. This is just what happened. This was normal life with this friend of mine. And he sits in the chair, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden we hear this... <laughs> And I look at him, and he looks at me with a bit of fear in his eyes. His eyes get a little bit wide. He knows something's about to happen. The preacher is up. He's sharing. This is not a good time for this. And all of a sudden, that noise happens again, and he goes straight to the floor. And it wasn't carpet. It was concrete, and it was metal bottoms, not plastic like you got on your chair. And it was so loud. And we just looked at each other. Now I wasn't looking level. I was looking down. And he was looking at me. 
And I, I, you know, it's, if, I don't think I had the nickname yet, but I should have just looked at him and said, Dub S, man, like Dub S. Like, he didn't move the rest of the service. Now, at one point, I think they put the camera on him. It, it, like, he just sat there the rest of the time. And that's what he was known for. Most caring, loving, generous guy I've ever known in my life. But that was what he was known for. I don't know, maybe you've got some things you're known for. Maybe you've got some labels, some categories that you tend to put yourself in or other people have put you in. And maybe you've got some labels that you don't like. Maybe you've got some past and you've got some patterns and maybe you've got a rhythm to your life that people have begun to label you for. Or maybe, let's be honest, we've got some labels we put on other people. We've got some categories we put other people in. For some of them, very superficial reasons, and for some of them, very hurtful and painful reasons. We have looked at them and said, this is not someone that's welcome on my table, and they are not allowed here, and they can't be here, and I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to reach out to them. I don't know, maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've walked through life with no labels, but I find it's very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to walk through life without, at some point, finding a label to put on somebody. And sometimes we get in this place where that thinking just keeps being so pervasive. Every time we see them in the back of our minds, that's what we think. And that's what's happening in this story. The reason it's talked about that this young woman, this woman came and she was a sinner. That's not to say like everybody sins. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No, 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 no. That's not the point here. The point is this was her label. This was her category. A young woman who was a prostitute. Who was, who was known as a sinner. Not just a sinner, but known as one. Known as a sinner. So here is a woman in a male-dominated culture and a sinner, a known sinner in a very legalistic culture. How, how, would, how would you like to be that person? And, and she shows up at this table. Now here's what's interesting about these tables back in the day, especially the elite of the elite. So a Pharisee would be one of those who, at least in their own eyes, viewed themselves as an elite person. And their tables were open. The courtyards were usually open. And so, so they would set the table up. The table that they would be eating at would be set in place where people could hear them talking and, and sometimes could even see them talking. So you don't see, you wonder why sometimes you read these stories where someone just walks up to the table. Like, who let the girl in, right? Like, who was at the door? She didn't ring the doorbell, didn't knock, nothing. Come on, where we, we talked about this, right? The threshold of our table. If we have determined that the threshold is to keep people out, we will never allow people at the table who need to be there. We need to have a threshold that is actually the place of entry, not the place of exclusion. So, so here's this, you know, this woman coming. She's a woman known as a sinner. She, she is uninvited and she is unwelcome. She, she is not allowed to be here. In fact, she's probably a bit unexpected. And so they're sitting at this table, Jesus reclining with a Pharisee, Pharisee probably trying to impress Jesus, or at the very least get to the heart of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And they begin to talk, and she shows up out of nowhere, just in, just in the middle of dinner. Have you ever had those people who show up and they don't leave? Right? Hey, this table, oh, that's cool, you guys have an empty chair. No, we don't. No, that Tom, he's going to be here in like 10 minutes. And then they talk for 10 minutes, and you're like, I don't Okay, I guess Tom's not coming, but Susie is, so you can't, that chair's actually broken. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You didn't think they'd stay for 10 minutes talking. You thought they would move on, so you thought that lie was worth it. And this girl shows up, known as a sinner, and Jesus kind of just sits there. There's no, 
reaction. She, she begins to wash his feet. She begins to pour what looks like very expensive and what is very expensive oil. This is not, that's why you see the, uh, the distinction between olive oil and fragrant oil. This is, these are two different things. One is maybe commonplace. The other one is, is a much more expensive thing. And so she comes into the table, known as a sinner, known as someone who is unwelcome and uninvited. She is unexpected. They're not allowed to be here. She's not allowed to be here. How dare she show up? And she shows up, and she begins to pour this fragrant oil on his feet. And because she begins to cry. I don't know. Like, listen, honestly, just I love Jesus. Because he's sitting there watching her cry on his feet. Now, I understand that at some level, some of that's expected in the sense that feet were washed when you would walk into a house, so it's not crazy. Like right now, it would be weird if I walked into your house, took your shoe off, and began to cry on your feet, but, uh, or brought you over to the sink and said, you have a bowl I can put your feet in to wash your feet. I know that would be strange now because we wear shoes, but, but, but this, is, this is going on, and Jesus is just reclining. There, there is no mention of Jesus shifting his posture. There's no mention of Jesus recoiling. There's no mention of Jesus going, no, there's, there's none of that. In fact, if anything, based on the story, we know that he just stays, and he just allows it to happen. He's just sitting there with his feet there, and she's crying, and she's pouring expensive perfume, and, and, and it's just, it's like, it's just, okay, that's cool. And she's, she's pouring out her heart, and here is this girl who doesn't show up. Listen, she does not show up going, Jesus, will you forgive me? She doesn't show up going, Jesus, will you fix this? She doesn't show up, Jesus, my circumstances and my label are unfair. You don't understand. They didn't get it here. They, they misread that situation. I've grown up this way. My background is this thing. My circumstances are like this. She doesn't, grow, she doesn't show up saying any of those things. She doesn't show up going, God, if you would have only put me in a better spot. If you would have only just over the last couple years helped me in this thing. And She doesn't do any of that. She just shows up and begins to pour out oil and begins to worship. Isn't that interesting? She doesn't say a thing. She just worships. And here is this girl who wants to be washed of a label and a category and a sin and a past and a lifestyle. And instead of her seeking it and asking for it and requesting it, she begins to wash the Savior's feet. It's, just, it's interesting to me how worship if we would really understand the power of real, true, honest worship if we would understand that God is not looking at us going, would you, if you just said the right prayer, if you just said the perfect thing, if you just understood your circumstances or the reason you're in your spot, if you would just walk into a place and you would go, I worship you above everything, above every situation, above everything that's going on. Our issue in life is not our circumstance. It is our awe and wonder towards Jesus. It is that we walk around forgetting how great and good God is. And this Pharisee looks at this girl and says, I can't believe this. How dare he let her wash his feet? He says it like this, as if he only knew. And you know what the Pharisee's doing here? He's not trying to, hey, did y'all know this is a, no, he's going, I told you so. He's not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know. If he was a prophet, he would understand. He can't associate with this girl. If he was a prophet, he would get it. He should have moved back. He should have pulled his feet in. He should have pushed her away. He should have sent her along. That's what the Pharisee was looking for. He was looking for some reason to exclude her because that's what our labels typically do. We typically label people to exclude them from particular situations. 
And Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't cast her. He doesn't say, move on. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't move. He doesn't kind of get away. He doesn't do any of that. He just stays. And he allows her to have this moment of incredible, passionate, honest, transparent worship. We need to create a place where people who are uninvited are welcomed. And people who are unexpected we're ready for. I mean, how brave and courageous a girl, knowing what she's known for, to show up at a table and begin to worship Jesus. I mean, the Pharisee thought it was crazy. Well, how dare she do this? And maybe some of your friends think your worship is wasteful. Maybe some of the people around you think that coming and showing up at church on a regular basis, did you hear me, regular basis, maybe even like a weekly basis, it's just a suggestion. And some of you have, man, you think your friends look at you and go, what? why would you show up on a Sunday morning and worship? Well, because I just watched people raise their hand, pray, and then raise their hand again saying God did something. That's why. Because I was able to come in here and forget everything and worship the Lord. See, I think what we find is that people think our worship is wasteful and we worry so much about their thinking that we forget that our worship is actually called reasonable. Paul would have said it is our reasonable service. It is a reasonable sacrifice to offer your whole life in worship of God. See, when you understand the goodness and the greatness and the bigness of God and the grace he has towards you, then it just seems logical and reasonable that I would show up and honor him with my time and my heart and my soul and my life. It just becomes reasonable. And so Jesus looks at this Pharisee and says, um, hey, I've got something to say to you. Right? And the Pharisee goes, say it. I'm pretty sure that's how he said it. Say it. Say it. Right? What, what? No, that's not how you do it. Don't do that. Don't ever do that trying to sound cool. In fact, don't ever do that, period, because you probably don't sound cool. Anyway, so if you're ever in a situation, don't go, what, what? What is that anyways? I don't even know what that is. Anyways, y'all, I'm distracted. Okay, so the Pharisee looks at him and goes, oh, you, why would you even do that? Why, I, don't, I don't understand what, you know, what, what are you thinking? How could you possibly do this. And Jesus is looking at this girl and he begins to tell this story. He begins to say, if, if this guy had, had a debt of 500 and this guy had a debt of 50 and I forgave both of them, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I want you to hear that. He didn't say, if I forgive the 500 and not the 50. He doesn't say that. He says, if I forgive both of them. So quit looking at yourself and going, oh, well, they are, they're too good. They just have it together. God's, no, no, no. God's forgiving all of us. We love the moral ladder. We love it. We love to be able to place people below us and above us on the moral ladder. It's exhausting, though, because every time you want to be above somebody, you got to climb. And every time you want to get below somebody, you got to move around other people that you thought weren't as good as you. It's, it's an exhausting thing to have a moral ladder. Jesus is not really interested in that. And he's not even trying to tell you that the Pharisee had only 50 things to forgive. He understands. He's not looking at the Pharisee differently. He understands that the Pharisee is looking at her differently. And so he's addressing his perspective on the girl. And so he's saying, even if you only had 50, which you don't, even if you only had 50, and I forgave both of them, who would be most thankful? 
What he's trying to uh, accentuate, what he's trying to emphasize with this guy is that, that, you know what, if you would understand the amount of things I'm forgiving you of, you would worship me like that. If you would understand the things I have grace for, you would honor me like that. If you understood the amount of debt that I've paid for you, even the 450 things you don't realize I've forgiven you of, you would worship me like that. Because someone who understands how much they're forgiven, there's much love. When I understand that there is nothing I can do to add to the cross, nothing I can do to add to the resurrection, he did that before I ever showed up, y'all. There's nothing I can do. It is only him. And if I would understand that it's only him, then there's nothing I can strive for. There's nothing I can work out. There's nothing that I can figure out that somehow makes his grace towards me greater. It is full and complete, and I have to receive it. And so he's trying to shift the perspective of this Pharisee. He's trying to tell this Pharisee, hey, I don't care if you had 50 or 500 But if you would understand that you actually had 500, you would be worshiping me like the girl that you tried to label and keep out of your little house. You you, you would not allow her past and her labels or her category or her known sinning to somehow keep her out of fellowship. I wonder if there are people in our lives that we've allowed their actions or their decisions or the things they stand for or the signs they put in their yard, hello, somebody. To keep them from our table. To not allow them to sit with us. As though somehow we're proving something in that. No, we're just looking stuck up. They don't want to be at your table anyways. If we would understand that the labels we are putting on people are the things that are keeping us from loving people. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that if we would understand that the fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air, if we don't make that distinction, we'll never make the invitation. If we realize this ain't about people uh, being all messed up, it's about God saving them regardless. It's about the fact that the enemy is trying to mess us up in our thinking and our backgrounds and our stuff and trying to draw lines and create labels and put people in nice little categories so we can decide if we will like them, love them, serve them, or be with them in any way, shape, or form. And so here's Jesus just messing all that up. He's just messing it all up. And then what happens is he forgives her. And I love this. And I'm actually going to save what I love for later. So you all got to keep paying attention. Don't fall asleep. He says, I forgive you. You're forgiven, right? And then there's a group of people that are watching Jesus do this. and, And they all go, how could he also forgive people? See, there's a girl that comes in known for her sin. And Jesus somehow shifts the entire conversation. Come on, listen. Are you listening? It started with knowing the girl for her sin. It's ending with them knowing Jesus for his grace. Are you with me? We need to be a church and we need to be a people that shift the conversation from knowing people for their sin to knowing us for our grace. If we could be a church, man, there's a hundred people that need to be hearing this right now. We got to invite some more people, y'all. Because God wants to do something in our church. God wants to do something through our church and all the incredible churches that are here in Fort Worth and moving to Fort Worth because they're coming. 
Because we know that there's a revival to happen in this city. And you know how it's going to happen? Not by labeling people by their sin, but by labeling us by our grace. By us being known by the grace and the good news of Jesus. I read in this book, I, I like books, I, I suggested this book to you that the gospel comes with a house key. It's amazing. And one of the lines she says in there, because we like this clever little line that we say, I don't hate the sinner, I hate the sin. And I, it's clever, and, it, and, and maybe it works in some scenarios, but let me just flip this, this. I love this. She wrote it, so if you don't like it, talk to her. <laughs> love the sinner, hate your sin. Love the sinner, hate your sin. Quit hating their sin. Just love them. Quit figuring it out, where they stand on the moral ladder, because ladders don't work anyways. Where are you trying to get to? Heaven is not at the top of your moral ladder, I'm telling you. That is not how Jesus set it up. Love the sinner, hate your sin enough to show up at Jesus' feet, cry on his feet, wash his feet, take something expensive because worship does cost us something, our ego and our pride, pour it on his feet, wash his feet, and watch what happens. Jesus says this in the very last verse of this chapter. He says, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, I'm going to tell you what I loved that I was going to tell you a second ago. I'm going to tell you now. She didn't pray a prayer. She, she, didn't, she didn't even really confess anything, y'all. She, she didn't come to Jesus and go, I'm a messed up here, and I messed up here, and I messed up here, and I messed up. Man, I have, like, really, like, a lot of mess ups. And last Tuesday, like, the, you know, she didn't do any of that. She didn't pray this great prayer. She didn't even know the Lord's prayer yet. She probably was, she, she was somewhere else when all that was happening. She, she doesn't have a clue. She just, she just shows up at Jesus' feet and begins to worship him. She doesn't say a thing. She just cries. Some of us think we are really awesome because we know that prayer and we've said that thing. And, and, we, and I think confession, please hear me. We confess our sins one to another. We, we, we confess them to God, but we immediately turn to a place of forgiveness. We, we have, the moment it's there, it's gone. You do not have to belabor that prayer. You do not have to go, God, I've got three minutes to tell you all the things I've done. No, I just, I just want to worship because it's our worship and our posture of worship that actually begins to set us free. Because worship might be the toughest thing to trust God with. It's so much easier to worry than to worship. It's so much easier to get busy than to worship. It's so much easier to go read a book than read the Bible. It's so much easier sometimes to enter his gates with frustrations than with thanksgiving. It's so much easier to pray a prayer and make his, your supplications known to God, as Paul writes it, with complaint rather than with thanksgiving. It is worship that unlocks so much of who we are. And it happened, get this, without a stage, without an amplifier, without lights, without rows, at a table. Man, we talked about this last week. Acts 2 says that they would share the meal, and they would uh, listen to apostles' teaching, and they would do all those things. And then the next verse says, all the while praising God. What if at your table, all the while you praised God? That does not mean put uh, an Amazon Echo on your table and play worship music. That's not what we're talking about. We, we are talking about the, allowing your praise and worship of God and your, your impression of God make its way into your conversation. Yeah, 
doesn't have to be the whole conversation. You can talk about other things, but please don't take it out of your conversation. If the Holy Spirit puts something in your heart, go. Yeah, Say it. I, 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 I think that there's probably some people in your life who would surprise you. I think there's some people right now in your life who would surprise you, who are just waiting to show up at a table where someone says, you're welcome, you're forgiven, and your label, you don't have to carry that anymore. Your category doesn't work here. You've been saved by your faith. I'm just promising you, there's someone in your life who has been carrying a label, and they, they now are so used to that label, they're just staying with it. They've forgotten that it's on their shirt. They've forgotten that it says known sinner. And so they've just, they've just gotten so used to it. If you just provided the opportunity to put Jesus in front of them and so that they could worship, man, I'm telling you right now, they would be so thankful. But we assume so many things for people. He says, your faith has saved you. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I know, but your faith did. Your faith spoke. Your faith said all I needed to hear. And then he says this other thing. And the worship team can start making their way up. Then he says this other thing. He says, your grace, no, sorry. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, some of us hear that salutation. We hear this go in peace thing. We do. We hear that, and then we, we, we think it's just some proper thing to say. But if you actually go back, especially in this particular moment, it is not just go in peace. In fact, the other translation would say enter into peace, as though she had not lived there yet. As though she had not been there yet. Are you with me? So, so, so Jesus is not saying to you today, hey, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Mwah. Go in peace, my, my son, my daughter. That's not what he's saying. He's saying go out of here and enter into a peace that is unsurpassing, a peace that is unexpected, a peace that is unexplainable, a peace that goes beyond anything you could somehow explain to people. I think our joy and our peace should not just be because our circumstances are good, because our, but because our Holy Spirit is present. Because we have a supernatural peace that goes beyond explanation. That's what it's about. Into peace. That's what, man, that's what God desires for us. God desires that we would have relationships and people would walk out of our table, walk out of our home, walk out of our conversations, and they would go into peace. Which is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. It's the shalom of God, that even in the madness, even in the craziness, even in all the things, there's this quiet, still strength. I don't care what you throw my way. I'm in peace. I got this label that y'all want to put on me. Mm -mm. My faith has saved me. He has forgiven me, and I have peace. I don't care what label you've given me. I have peace. I don't care what kind of category you fit me in. I have peace. I don't care what kind of thing has happened to me. I have peace. I stand in peace. I have entered into peace. I have rest and strength and refreshing and life and hope because of Jesus. So maybe for some of us, there's, there's two, things to, two things to pray about here in a moment and respond to. Maybe the first one is uh, that we need to uh, stop labeling people. We need to stop putting people in categories. We need to stop thinking that uh, other people are really just bad people. And we didn't mean to be bad, but they just really meant to be bad. But we, we, we need to quit putting labels on people. And we need to welcome people to the table who are uninvited and unexpected. 
But you're the kind of person who has the capacity to welcome people. You're the kind of person who has the capacity to be ready when something unexpected shows up. And maybe the other side of this is he who sins much is forgiven much. So let me just say it to you like this. For some of you, you thought the amount of sin you had somehow disqualifies you. No, actually, the more you got, the better. Because you got much forgiveness. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I am not telling you go out here and sin a bunch so you can get more forgiveness. (laughs) But I'm telling you, if you do, you'll get much forgiveness. I'm telling you, even if you walk out of here and mess up all week long, God's grace is for you. I'm telling you, the friend that you think somehow has crossed the line, mm -mm, there is much forgiveness for them. I'm telling you, the person who's had the, the, uh, uh, the things stacked against them, no, there's much forgiveness for them. We need to welcome people at the table because their faith will make them well and their grace, and they can go into peace. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray.